Almost got it all organized in time. I was close, I promise. <sighs> Welcome, friends. My name is Andy Maddock. It is so good to be with you this morning as we celebrate the goodness and grace of God. The decorations that surround us have changed. The, th the, the themes and tone have changed. We have entered into a season that the Christian church calls Lent, a season of repentance, a season uh, of uh, attunement that is intended to help the Christian disciple journey uh, from uh, the beginning of that season and the temptation of Jesus to the cross and then to the empty tomb at Easter. It's intended to enhance our experience of the Easter story by working through a journey together in preparation for that day. Uh, and so there will be six Sundays over the next six Sundays where we will prepare our hearts, our lives, and our stories to greet God, to greet the risen Christ in Easter. But to get there, we are taking a bit of a road trip together. Our theme is On the Road with Jesus, uh, an opportunity to talk about six powerful encounters, the inviting one, the costly one, the unexpected one, these encounters that folks have with Jesus when he's out on the road, and to consider what it might mean for our journey with Christ, what it might mean for our encounter with him, uh, and to spend some time doing that well and faithfully. Uh, but uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer as we center ourselves in God's grace. Holy One, we give you thanks for this day, for these people, and for this place. We ask for your blessings upon us, for those who come as new members, for those who celebrate your journey, for all of us as we gather around your story of hope and possibility. We come with praise in our hearts, in our stories, and in our lives, and we offer it to you in this time, that for all the busyness, the bluster, the rain that will come, all of the things that we might worry about out there, we come to this place to meet you, to have our lives changed and our stories become quickened by your grace, by your forgiveness, and by your mercy. So meet us in this time, O oh God, we ask. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in a change of trajectory uh, from where we were with the Doubt series, uh, at least today, uh, you're getting a very different model because rather than starting with a, a topic or a theme, today I'd like us to start with a text. Uh, and it is an encounter text, uh, however, you might think I'm cheating because it happens on a boat. However, comma, it's about getting off the boat and getting on the road with Christ. That's the story we're about this morning. And so I want to share with you a reading from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke and the calling of the first disciples there. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked Simon to put out a little bit from the shore, and then Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken in. And so were James and John the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. 
from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, they left everything, and they followed him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is a fishing story, and it's one of my favorites. Maybe you're a, a great biblical scholar and you're going, that, remember that story differently. That's not the way I remember it. You might be thinking of the gospel passage from Matthew where it happens that Peter, Andrew, James, and John are already out on the water and Jesus is walking on the shore and he calls out to them, hey, you out there, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll pull in a huge catch. And Peter's response is, oh yeah, I, I, I've only done this for 30 years. I don't know what I'm doing. But for you, buddy, watch this. And they pull in the miraculous catch. The Gospel of Luke is different, and I love it for it. I love a little bit of difference and nuance because it allows us to wrestle with what God is saying to us in God's Word and to spend some time unpacking why and what it might have to do with us. It's a fishing story, it's a story about discipleship and about Peter. And while Peter says, I'm a sinful man when he sees the abundant catch, one of the things that's true is that Peter is a simple man. Those who fish are blue-collar workers. They know what they know and probably little else. They're the kind of people that you'd run into at a dinner party and say, hey, what do you like to do for fun? And their answer is, well, I fish. Do you want to unpack that at all or say, I fish? Okay. We meet people with singular focus in that regard, and these fishermen are probably like that. Their pattern is simple, they know what they know, they know how to do it, and they don't like their life to get terribly complicated. But what we know is that Jesus calls 12 men to follow him and to be disciples and future apostles, learners of his work and word, and then sharers of God's story with the, wor with the world. Four out of 12, that means one in three of the disciples that Jesus calls into future ministry are simple, plain, dullard, I fish people. I want you to look to your left and to your right. If it feels like your companions in the pew have their life together, there's a decent chance you're exactly who Jesus wants to use. This is a fishing story. It has four major movements, in my opinion. The first is availability and obedience. You see, Jesus is teaching on a crowded shore. It is morning time, and we know that because Peter's shift has come to an end. They're cleaning their nets on the shore with the, the boats kind of bow first, parked on the seashore. Jesus is being crowded by the people who want to hear what he has to say. And so he steps into the front of Peter's boat and asks him to push out so that he can teach from a little ways off. It's kind of a floating pulpit backs out from the shore and teaches him there. There's some things I want you to catch, church, that strike me about this part of the story. One is I often think about Jesus' ministry in this way. He was baptized. He was tempted. He started calling people and building a ministry. First he starts with 12, and then it's hundreds and thousands of people. What's happened here? Before he's called a single disciple, people are already following him around, hungry for the message that he has. He's got a crowd of followers already, and they crowd in on him, hungry for more. Peter sees the commotion, but has had no interjection and no interaction from this beachside preacher. But availability and obedience. Jesus gets in the front of his boat, 
and asks him to push out a little bit from the shore. And Peter does. And Peter does. Peter pushes the boat back. He trusts just enough to to spend some time and to figure this out. He leaves the the chore that he has been uh, doing now and steps back from the shore that Jesus might preach. I love this vision, this idea, because I've worked in food service before. My first ever job was as a busboy at the buffet at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it seemed that every couple of weeks, when I had just finished cleaning my station and prepping and setting for the next day, ready to go home, there would be a party of 10 that would come in and ask to be seated. And then we would have to wait on them because they came in just under the wire. Peter's day is done. Peter's day is finished. He hadn't planned on getting back in the boat, but out of availability and obedience, he pushes back from the shore. And it is there that Jesus preaches. He preaches to the crowd, not to Peter. And that's an important thing. Uh, One of my favorite uh, authors on the craft of preaching is a guy by the name of Fred Craddock. Uh, Fred lived and grew up in the South, very simple preacher, uh, has a very different vision about what preaching can accomplish than a lot of his contemporaries. Newsweek named him one of the 12 great preachers of the 20th century, and at the end of his life when he retired, he served a church about as big as y'all's section right now, 12 people in a little church in Georgia, because he loved them. Fantastic preacher. And in his book, Overhearing the Gospel, which I'm not going to read to you at all, uh, well, I'll say this, if you're into what I do and have more questions, this is an interesting book, and it might help you understand me a little bit. Fred Craddock basically has a big debate with Soren Kierkegaard about the nature of the gospel and how it's communicated. Soren Kierkegaard thinks there is a singular gospel truth at the top of a great pyramid that's intended to be shared in a variety of practices and ways. Okay. Fred Craddock says there's a multitude of human experiences that boil down to an absolute truth of God's presence in our life and stories, and preaching ought to help the many find the one rather than taking the one and trying to figure out how to share it with the many. It's a fascinating idea. But his whole book is built around this story, overhearing the gospel, because Jesus preaches to the crowd. He doesn't say, this is the sermon for Eric today, and look right at Peter about convicting his heart and story. He preaches to the people on the shore while Peter just sits there and whittles or repairs nets or does whatever it is Peter does in his boat when he's not at work. But he overhears. And in that overhearing, there's something compelling going on. The first is this, Luke couldn't give a rat's batootie what Jesus actually said. That's humbling as a preacher. I've said a lot of things in the last 25 years. But Luke doesn't care what Jesus' sermon was. He cared how it touched Peter's heart. Because in the midst of availability and obedience, there came an option for him to move into the second phase, which was put faith in action. And out of that availability and overhearing the sermon, Peter is invited to go the opposite direction he expected to go. He thought the guy said amen, he gave the benediction, he shook hands with the people, it's time to pull in and go to bed. Instead, Jesus says, put out to the deep water, go the opposite way you anticipated going, and I'll go with you and we're going to fish. And Peter trusts in the Lord to be able to do that. 
out of just being present to and overhearing what Jesus had to say to the crowds, there's something that is stirred in Peter such that he said it is worth spending more time with this one that the crowds are so fascinated in. I'm willing to go a different way for the sake of this voice, this call, and this story. And they go out and they begin to cast into the deep waters. Now here's the thing. Peter, well I fish, knows his job he knows that they fish at night when the waters are cooler and they use lights on their boat to draw the fish up towards the surface so that they are easier to catch the reason they're washing their nets in the morning at the end of their day is because they know as the sun rises and the water warms the fish go even deeper to find the cool water that's the wrong time of day to fish but out of listening and overhearing the gospel message of the kingdom of god from this seaside pastor he's willing to go out and jesus makes space for peter's excuses we often say god doesn't want to hear my excuses absolutely god wants to hear your excuses jesus is invitational not confrontational peter says i fished all night and we caught nothing but you've got the excuse but he puts that which is unseen into action he says but at your word I'll cast my net. And in the midst of that net casting, this one fisher is transformed. Why? Because he encounters the divine. God shows up in abundant fish, in lots and lots and lots and lots of fish, to the point where Peter and Andrew and their small crew and their small boat couldn't haul in that net by himself. So he waves to James and John, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, and says, come and help. We can't get the net in. And then there are now two boats struggling that are almost going to sink for all the fish that they pulled out of a lake that just two hours ago they caught nothing from. It's an encounter with God. It's a divine moment, a miracle moment. And in the midst of that, Peter's first impulse is to share that blessing. There's not a bit of Ebenezer scrooging in here. Well, if I invite James and John, they're going to take some of this fish. He knows that he's been so blessed that he needs to just give it away and help. Come help! We got too much fish. And in the midst of that encounter with the divine, in the midst of that sense of being amazed and stunned, Peter's first response, Peter's first response is sinfulness and mortality. He falls to his knees. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I fish. That's all I know, all I've ever known. But I've been faithful, and I go to synagogue, and I hear the stories, and I know that having a real encounter with the divine sometimes happens at people's peril. Folks who see the living God sometimes die, sometimes go blind, sometimes can't hear. I don't want that to happen to me. Go away. I know this is something well beyond me. Encountering the divine can sometimes be a mirror to our sinfulness and brokenness. Every time I'm really experiencing God, there's a small part of me that says, yeah, but you're incomplete. Think about all the things you left undone. Think about those sins you did on purpose. You're not worthy of all of this. You're not perfect. But the simple truth is, is that after encountering the divine with his sense of fear, with his sense of repentance, and with his sense of amazement, he's invited to get off the boat. This invitation happens. Jesus addresses the fear. Don't be afraid. You're a fine fisherman. 
Well, let me tell you what's going to happen when you come and fish for people. Jesus makes an invitation out of this abundance, out of this fear. He doesn't invite him to stay where he was as he encountered God. He invites him to get off the boat and go on the road. It was not enough for Peter with all of his maybe business mindset to say, I don't know how I'm going to sell this much fish. I don't know how I'm going to salt this much fish. I don't know, know how to cook this much fish. I don't even know how to get this much fish onto the shore. He doesn't leave him with any of his business anxieties. He says, follow me. I've got a new task. And Peter is trusting and obeys that invitation, I think because he realizes that he's never going to catch this much fish again. Not on one day, not as the sum of all the rest of his days. He's floored by what God has done. And he says, if this guy represents what God can do in me and my craft, what then does it mean that he is inviting me to do more for his sake and for his kingdom? That's a question we all have. I've seen God do great things in others. And now, pastor, you want me to hear that God has something to do in and through me? Uh-oh. Peter has to get off the boat. The fear is addressed. He's given a new role and a new calling as a fisher for people, and he has to hit the road. He can't stay in his boat and hope that it happens again and again and again. He's not going to become a street-side attraction. Come and watch Peter pull too many fish out of the lake. None of that's going to happen. He has to execute the change. Because this inviting encounter with Jesus on this first Sunday in Lent demands nothing less. Get off the boat. Get on the road. I think that's the kind of opportunity that stands before us as the people of God over the next six weeks. I love Easter. And I take Lent very seriously. It's a chance for us to do some soul tending, some garden work in our spirit and our lives such that we might make ourselves more radically available for the story of the cross and the story of the resurrection. If you want that to ring your bell and to hit a little deeper for you this year, maybe take the opportunity to explore our Lenten challenges in your Lenten bag. To know that we want to provide some new twists, some new opportunities, some new turns on what it means to give, to pray, and to rest over the next six weeks. Try them on. See if they're not opportunities out of your availability and your obedience to put your faith in action and to know that the divine meets you there and shapes who you are. you got to get off the boat and on the road with Jesus. That's the hope. That's the prayer. Would you join me in one right now?